0: the old curiosity shop chapter sixty four this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by brad Phillipone the old curiosity shop by charles dickens chapter sixty four tossing to and fro upon his hot uneasy bed tormented by a fierce thirst which nothing could appease unable to find in any change of posture a moment's peace or ease and rambling ever through deserts of thought where there was no resting-place no sight or sound suggestive of refreshment or repose nothing but a dull eternal weariness with no change but the restless shiftings of his miserable body and the weary wandering of his mind constant still to one ever-present anxiety to a sense of something left undone of some fearful obstacle to be surmounted of some carking care that would not be driven away and which haunted the distempered brain now in this form now in that always shadowy and dim but recognisable for the same phantom in every shape it took darkening every vision like an evil conscience and making slumber horrible in these slow tortures of his dread disease the unfortunate richard lay wasting and consuming inch by inch until at last when he seemed to fight and struggle to rise up and to be held down by devils he sank into a deep sleep and dreamed no more he awoke with a sensation of most blissful rest better than sleep itself he began gradually to remember something of these sufferings and to think what a long night it had been and whether he had not been delirious twice or thrice happening in the midst of these cogitations to raise his hand he was astonished to find how heavy it seemed and yet how thin and light it really was still he felt indifferent and happy and having no curiosity to pursue the subject remained in the same waking slumber until his attention was attracted by a cough this made him doubt whether he had locked his door last night and feel a little surprised at having a companion in the room still he lacked energy to follow up this train of thought and unconsciously fell in a luxury of repose to staring at some green stripes on the bed furniture and associating them strangely with patches of fresh turf while the yellow ground between made gravel walks and so helped out a long perspective of trim gardens he was rambling in imagination on these terraces and had quite lost himself among them indeed when he heard the cough once more the walks shrunk into stripes again at the sound and raising himself a little in the bed and holding the curtain open with one hand he looked out the same room certainly and still by candlelight but with what unbounded astonishment did he see all those bottles and basins and articles of linen airing by the fire and such-like furniture of a sick chamber all very clean and neat but all quite different from anything he had left there when he went to bed the atmosphere too filled with a cool smell of herbs and vinegar the floor newly sprinkled the-the what the marchioness yes playing cribbage with herself at the table There she sat, intent upon her game, coughing now and then in a subdued manner as if she feared to disturb him, shuffling the cards, cutting, dealing, playing, counting, pegging, going through all the mysteries of cribbage as if she had been in full practice from her cradle. Mr. Swiveller contemplated these things for a short time, and, suffering the curtain to fall into its former position, laid his head on the pillow again. "'I'm dreaming,' thought Richard. "'That's clear.' When I went to bed, my hands were not made of eggshells, and now I can almost see through them. If this is not a dream, I have woke up, by mistake, in an Arabian night instead of a London one. But I have no doubt I'm asleep, not the least. Here the small servant had another cough. Very remarkable, thought Mr. Swiveller. I never dreamt such a real cough as that before. I don't know indeed that I ever dreamt either a cough or a sneeze. Perhaps it's part of the philosophy of dreams that one never does. There's another. And another. I say, I'm dreaming rather fast.' For the purpose of testing his real condition, Mr. Swiveller, after some reflection, pinched himself in the arm. "'Queerer still,' he thought. "'I came to bed rather plump than otherwise, and now there's nothing to lay hold of. I'll take another survey.' the result of this additional inspection was to convince mr swiveller that the objects by which he was surrounded were real and that he saw them beyond all question with his waking eyes it's an arabian night that's what it is said richard i'm in damascus or grand cairo the marchioness is a genie, and having had a wager with another genie about who is the handsomest young man alive, and the worthiest to be the husband of the Princess of China, has brought me away, room and all, to compare us together. Perhaps, said Mr. Swiveller, turning languidly round on his pillow and looking on that side of the bed which was next the wall, the Princess may be still—no, she's gone. Not feeling quite satisfied with this explanation, as even taking it to be the correct one, it still involves a little mystery and doubt.' mr swiveller raised the curtain again determined to take the first favourable opportunity of addressing his companion an occasion presented itself the marchioness dealt turned up a knave and omitted to take the usual advantage upon which mr swiveller called out as loud as he could two for his heels the marchioness jumped up quickly and clapped her hands arabian nights certainly thought mr swiveller they always clap their hands instead of ringing the bell now for the two thousand black slaves with jars of jewels on their heads it appeared however that she had only clapped her hands for joy for directly afterwards she began to laugh and then to cry declaring not in choice arabic but in familiar english that she was so glad she didn't know what to do marchioness said mr Swiveller thoughtfully be pleased to draw nearer first of all will you have the goodness to inform me where i shall find my voice and secondly "'What has become of my flesh?' The marchioness only shook her head mournfully and cried again, whereupon Mr. Swiveller, being very weak, felt his own eyes affected likewise. "'I begin to infer from your manner and these appearances, marchioness,' said Richard, after a pause and smiling with a trembling lip, "'that I have been ill.' "'You just have,' replied the small servant, wiping her eyes. "'And haven't you been a talking nonsense?' "'Oh,' said Dick, "'very ill, marchioness. Have I been?' dead but all replied the small servant i never thought you'd get better thank heaven you have mr swiveller was silent for a long while by-and-by he began to talk again inquiring how long he had been there three weeks to-morrow replied the servant three what said dick weeks returned the marchioness emphatically three long slow weeks the bare thought of having been in such extremity caused richard to fall into another silence and to lie flat down again at his full length the marchioness having arranged his bedclothes more comfortably and felt that his hands and forehead were quite cool a discovery that filled her with delight cried a little more then applied herself to getting tea ready and making them some dry toast While she was thus engaged, Mr. Swiveller looked on with a grateful heart, very much astonished to see how thoroughly at home she made herself, and attributing this attention in its origin to Sally Brass, whom in his own mind he could not thank enough. When the marchioness had finished her toasting, she spread a clean cloth on a tray and brought him some crisp slices and a great basin of weak tea, with which, she said, the doctor had left word he might refresh himself when he awoke she propped him up with pillows if not as skilfully as if she had been a professional nurse all her life at least as tenderly and looked on with unutterable satisfaction while the patient stopping every now and then to shake her by the hand took his poor meal with an appetite and relish which the greatest dainties on earth under any other circumstances would have failed to provoke having cleared away and disposed everything comfortably about him again she sat down at the table to take her own tea marchioness said mr swiveller how's sally the small servant screwed her face into an expression of the very uttermost entanglement of slyness and shook her head what haven't you seen her lately said dick seen her cried the small servant bless you i've run away mr swiveller immediately laid himself down again quite flat and so remained for about five minutes by slow degrees he resumed his sitting posture after that lapse of time and inquired "'And where do you live, Marchioness?' "'Live!' cried the small servant. "'Here!' "'Oh!' said Mr. Swiveller. And with that he fell down flat again, as suddenly as if he had been shot. Thus he remained motionless and bereft of speech, until she had finished her meal, put everything in its place, and swept the hearth, when he motioned her to bring a chair to the bedside, and being propped up again, opened a further conversation. "'And so,' said Dick, "'you have run away?' "'Yes,' said the marchioness. "'And they've been a tising of me.' "'Been—I beg your pardon,' said Dick. "'What have they been doing?' "'Been a tising of me tising, you know, in the papers,' rejoined the marchioness. "'Ay, ay,' said Dick, advertising.' The small servant nodded and winked. Her eyes were so red with waking and crying that the tragic muse might have winked with greater consistency, and so Dick felt. "'Tell me,' said he, "'how is it that you thought of coming here?' why you see returned the marchioness when you was gone i hadn't any friend at all because the lodger he never come back and i didn't know where either him or you was to be found you know but one morning when i was was near a keyhole suggested mr swiveller observing that she faltered well then said the small servant nodding when i was near the office keyhole as you see me through you know i heard somebody saying that she lived here and was the lady whose house you lodged at and that you was took very bad and wouldn't nobody come and take care of you Mr. Brass, he says, it's no business of mine, he says, and Miss Sally, she says, he's a funny chap, but it's no business of mine, and the lady went away and slammed the door too when she went out, I can tell you, so I run away that night and come here and told him you was my brother, and they believed me, and I've been here ever since. "'This poor little marchioness has been wearing herself to death,' cried Dick. "'No, I haven't,' she returned, "'not a bit of it.' don't you mind about me i like sitting up and i've often had a sleep bless you in one of them chairs but if you could have seen how you tried to jump out a window, and if you could have heard how you used to keep on singing and making speeches you wouldn't have believed it i'm so glad you're better mr liverer liverer indeed said dick thoughtfully It's well i am a liverer i strongly suspect i should have died marching as but for you at this point mr swiveller took the small servant's hand in his again and being as we have seen but poorly might in struggling to express his thanks have made his eyes as red as hers but that she quickly changed the theme by making him lie down and urging him to keep very quiet the doctor she told him said you was to be kept quite still and there was to be no noise nor nothing now take a rest and then we'll talk again i'll set by you you know if you shut your eyes perhaps you'll go to sleep you'll be all the better for it if you do the marchioness in saying these words brought a little table to the bedside, took her seat at it, and began to work away at the concoction of some cooling drink, with the address of a score of chemists. Richard Swiveller, being indeed fatigued, fell into a slumber, and waking in about half an hour, inquired what time it was. "'Just gone half after six, replied his small friend, helping him to set up again. Marchioness said Richard, passing his hand over his forehead and turning suddenly round, as though the subject but that moment flashed upon him, what has become of kit he had been sentenced to a transportation for a great many years she said has he gone asked dick his mother how is she what has become of her his nurse shook her head and answered that she knew nothing about them but if i had thought said she very slowly that you'd keep quiet and not put yourself into another fever i could tell you but i won't now yes do said dick it will amuse me oh would it though rejoined the small servant with a horrified look i know better than that wait till you're better and then i'll tell you dick looked very earnestly at his little friend and his eyes being large and hollow from illness assisted the expression so much that she was quite frightened and besought him not to think any more about it what had already fallen from her however had not only piqued his curiosity but seriously alarmed him wherefore he urged her to tell him the worst at once "'Oh, there's no worst in it,' said the small servant. "'It hasn't anything to do with you.' "'Has it anything to do with—' "'Is it anything you heard through chinks or keyholes, "'and that you were not intended to hear?' asked Dick, in a breathless state. "'Yes,' replied the small servant. "'In—in beavis marks?' pursued Dick hastily. "'Conversation between Brass and Sally?' "'Yes,' cried the small servant again richard swiveller thrust his lank arm out of bed and gripping her by the wrist and drawing her close to him bade her out with it and freely too or he would not answer for the consequences being wholly unable to endure the state of excitement and expectation she seeing that he was greatly agitated and that the effects of postponing her revelation might be much more injurious than any that were likely to ensue from its being made at once promised compliance on condition that the patient kept himself perfectly quiet and abstained from starting up or tossing about but if you begin to do that said the small servant i'll leave off and so i tell you "'You can't leave off till you have gone on,' said Dick. "'And do go on, there's a darling. "'Speak, sister, speak, pretty Polly, say. "'Oh, tell me when, and tell me where, pray, Marchioness, I beseech you.' Unable to resist these fervent adjurations, which Richard Swiveller poured out as passionately as if they had been of the most solemn and tremendous nature, his companion spoke thus. "'Well, before I run away, I used to sleep in the kitchen, where we played cards, you know.' miss sally used to keep the key of the kitchen door in her pocket and she always come down at night to take away the candle and rake out the fire when she had done that she left me to go to bed in the dark locked the door on the outside put the key in her pocket again and kept me locked up till she'd come down in the morning very early i can tell you and let me out i was terrible afraid of being kept like this because if there was a fire i thought they might forget me and only take care of themselves you know So whenever I see a rusty old key anywhere, I picked it up and tried if it would fit the door, and at last I found in the dust-cellar a key that did fit it. Here Mr. Swiveller made a violent demonstration with his legs. But the small servant, immediately pausing in her talk, he subsided again, and pleading a momentary forgetfulness of their compact, entreated her to proceed. "'They kept me very short,' said the small servant. "'Oh, you can't think how short they kept me!' so i used to come out at night after they'd gone to bed and feel about in the dark for bits of biscuit or sandwiches that you'd left in the office or even pieces of orange-peel to put into cold water and make-believe it was wine did you ever taste orange-peel and water mr swiveller replied that he had never tasted that ardent liquor and once more urged his friend to resume the thread of her narrative if you make-believe very much it's quite nice said the small servant but if you don't you know it seems as if it would bear a little more seasoning certainly while well, sometimes i used to come out after they'd gone to bed and sometimes before you know and one or two nights before there was all that precious noise in the office when the young man was took i mean i come upstairs while mr brass and miss sally was a sittin' at the office fire and i tell you the truth that i come to listen again about the key of the safe Mr. Swiveller gathered up his knees so as to make a great cone of the bedclothes and conveyed into his countenance an expression of the utmost concern. But the small servant, pausing and holding up her finger, the cone gently disappeared, though the look of concern did not. "'There was him and her,' said the small servant, a-sitting by the fire and talking softly together.' mr brass says to sally upon my word he says it's a dangerous thing and it might get us into a world of trouble and i don't half like it she says you know her way she says you're the chickenest heartest feeblest faintest man i ever see and i think she says that i ought to have been the brother and you the sister isn't quilp she says our principal support he certainly is says mr brass and ain't we she says constantly ruining somebody or other in the way of business we certainly are says mr brass then does it signify she says about ruining this kit when quilp desires it it certainly does not signify says mr brass then they whispered and laughed for a long time about there being no danger if it was well done and then mr brass pulls out his pocket-book and says well he says here it is quilp's own five-pound note we'll agree that way then he says kit's coming to-morrow morning i know "'While he's upstairs, you'll get out of the way, and I'll clear off Mr. Richard. "'Having Kit alone, I'll hold him up in conversation and put this property in his hat. "'I'll manage so, besides,' he says, "'that Mr. Richard shall find it there and be the evidence. "'And if that don't get Christopher out of Mr. Quilp's way "'and satisfy Mr. Quilp's grudges, he says, the devil's in it.' "'Miss Sally laughed and said that was the plan, "'and as they seemed to be moving away and I was afraid to stop any longer, "'I went downstairs again.' there the small servant had gradually worked herself into as much agitation as mr swiveller and therefore made no effort to restrain him when he sat up in bed and hastily demanded whether the story had been told to anybody how could it be replied his nurse i was almost afraid to think about it and hoped the young man would be let off when i heard him say they had found him guilty of what he didn't do you was gone and so was the lodger though i think i should have been frightened to tell him even if he'd been there ever since i come here you've been out of your senses and what would have been the good of telling you then marchioness said mr swiveller plucking off his nightcap and flinging it to the other end of the room if you'll do me the favour to retire for a few minutes and see what sort of a night it is i'll get up you mustn't think of such a thing cried his nurse i must indeed said the patient looking round the room whereabouts are my clothes oh i'm so glad you haven't got any replied the marchioness "'Ma'am,' said Mr. Swiveller, in great astonishment, "'I've been obliged to sell them, every one, to get the things that was ordered for you. But don't take on about that,' urged the marchioness, as Dick fell back upon his pillow. "'You're too weak to stand, indeed.' "'I'm afraid,' said Mr. Richard, dolefully, that you're right. What ought I to do? What is to be done?' It naturally occurred to him, on very little reflection, that the first step would be to communicate with one of the Mr. Garlands instantly. It was very possible that Mr. Abel had not yet left the office. In as little time as it takes to tell it, the small servant had the address in pencil on a piece of paper, a verbal description of father and son, which would enable her to recognize either, without difficulty, and a special caution to be shy of Mr. Chuckster in consequence of that gentleman's known antipathy to Kit. Armed with these slender powers, she hurried away, commissioned to bring either old Mr. Garland or Mr. Abel bodily to that apartment. I suppose, said Dick, as she closed the door slowly and peeped into the room again to make sure that he was comfortable, I suppose there's nothing left. Not so much as a waistcoat, even. No, nothing. It's embarrassing, said Mr. Swiveller. In case of fire, even an umbrella would be something. But you did quite right, dear Marchioness. I should have died without you. End of chapter 64